You are listening to a production of the Toll Network. This is Laser Knees, number 119. He is another brick in the wall. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono, and this is Machine Sentai Kira Major, episode 17, The Miracle of the Manor, and episode 18, Turning Evil. Our writer for both is Riku Sanjo. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's he's actually kind of sticking on this project. Oh, our director, Yeah, our director for both is Watanabe Katsuya. I'm not going to say anything bad happened. Like, there's some good stuff these episodes. Nothing really jumps out except um, the hot new character find of 2020. And we're going to get there. Oh, yes. But before we get there, um, any thoughts before we dive into bad things, Sono? I don't know. I liked these episodes. I thought they were cute. Same. Same. Cool. Well, then, let's let's get into the problems, because we have a couple. But really, only a couple. Yeah, this is fairly minor in the grand scheme of things, but how is Tamitomo able to just, like, hit a button on the changer to shake off the poison? Like, I get narrative utility, we needed to end the episode... But it just feels like if he could have done that, maybe he should have done it, like, as soon as he knew what was going on, instead of giving the big speech first. But then again, he is a gamer. He had to have his big dramatic protagonist cutscene. Because much like Senna, Tametomo also lives for the drama, and I can respect that. It just felt very weird that it's like, haha, you're poisoned. Press a button? Nope. <laughs> yeah, that is very much... Especially, like for a guy who's doing esports so he's televised you know he's done that stuff oh absolutely oh no i only have a sliver of health left boom and he does one of those like 30 hit combos that no one can get out of and it's just like ah you know shrug man now all i want is for somehow they get like a, a pro level gamer to like so to be the one actually playing the game, and for them to just bring in Sonic Fox. Sonic Fox versus Tomatomo. Oh my great. god, that would be amazing. Especially if, like, Sonic Fox can just put on his fursuit, because why not? <laughs> I like them. They're good people, Sonic Fox. <laughs> I adore Sonic Fox. That's the only, like, esports person I know, but I still remember one time I saw someone just talking a lot of trash at them and it's just like all right well let's play some mortal Kombat then oh yeah you're much better than me i'm sure oh hey how about that because uh anyway let's let's move on because i can just talk about how fond i am sonic fox for a long time which is actually kind of surprising to me um Okay, so I understand the drama this show is going for with Takamichi getting super serious and pushing everyone away in pursuit of this treasure that can save his sister. And the way it shakes out in 18 is very sweet and all, and we'll talk about that in a hot second. But also, I feel like maybe Takamichi could have handled this a little bit better. Yeah, just a bit. I get- That is an understatement. I get that when he was a teenager- he went to Crystallia, and I don't fault teenagers for making stupid decisions, as that's sort of their job as they learn to navigate the world. You gotta make bad decisions to learn to make good ones. But I feel like Takamichi started this treasure hunting side quest not super long ago. Not very long before Garza did his betrayal, because it seemed like those two things happened in qu pretty quick succession. And is 
that's technically this boy in his 40s now? Yeah, because, like, look, even allowing for some possibility that being part rock, uh, a lot more than we thought, as it turns out, um, like, maybe you could argue that that means he's kind of stuck in that teenage place, because in the, the same forces that mean they're bad at having imaginations also mean, like, you're bad at growing, because rocks, they don't really... I mean, they do grow, but they don't, you know what I mean. So, like, but at the same time, even if he is kind of mentally stuck in that teenager place, uh, even teenagers can learn to be less frustratingly teenage. Like, they can move beyond the hormones. Like, but yeah, like you're saying, Sono, he is in his 40s. Honestly, by my count, possibly even closer to 50. Which, yeah, he's, uh, I feel like he's like 45 or 47, something like yeah. that. Yeah, but that does mean that there is an active Sentai member who is canonically older than I am, which is the first time that's happened to me in a show. So that's neat. At least, you know, since I started watching Sentai, and, and it's like, at the time, they are in the Sentai, because, like, yes, if we look back at, like, the people who were in Bioman, they're older than me, but also, they weren't older than me when Bioman, the show, was running. Anyway, moving on. Like, if he was gonna refuse to tell Mabushina so that she's not worried about randomly dying at any given time, which, whatever, um, he could have at least just been, like, cool about it and just not mentioned why he was doing this and been like, hey, Mabushina, look at this cool legendary treasure. I'm gonna go find it. You gotta stay here with Dad because you gotta learn to, like, rule this place. Um, so I can't bring you with me, but I'm gonna write you letters about my cool adventures, and I'll bring you back cool stuff. Which I feel would have gone over better, even, like, if he was missing when Garza showed up to do a betrayal. Better than, shut up, this is my book, I only care about treasure now. Oh, like, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, one of these things will be remembered a little more fondly. Yeah. Because, at least with, hey, I was out of town, I was sorry, I was trying to get the cool thing for you. I didn't know Garz was going to assassinate Dad. Jeez, that sucks. Especially since then he could actually come back in after and be like, hey, where did Mabushina go? And then he arrives on the scene like, hey, I followed you. I yeah. heard you went to Earth, thank goodness. Uh, I mean, I'm still generally in the camp of Mabushina's a big girl, and maybe you should tell her about this thing that directly affects her more than anyone else in the room. But if he's gonna do it this way, which, whatever, like, he could have lied better. Yeah. Because, look, I mean, first off, we here at the Toe Network are big proponents of just telling people when some stuff is wrong that might affect them. Because the whole, like, should we keep this from... Should we keep this from Sakurako? No. Kuga. But, like, girl traveled to another planet and was amazing and patient the other day with Crunchula. Like, remember when she saved all those people? And it was awesome? Just with the power of being patient? Like, dude, you can tell her what's up. You saw her save the day. If you're old enough to save the day, you're old enough to know you have a death curse on you. Possibly. Because we don't even know that she does but anyway but honestly for me i feel like getting the rest of the crew in on the secret and getting them to keep it like that's a bad look for the lot of them if i'm being honest because like i can forgive juru because he's a kid 
but just he best become a kid who tells people things that affect them because if everyone but Mabushina knows, I'm just gonna wreck everything. Like it's just gonna wreck everything and make her think that you hate her in the here and now, and she don't need that. She's got enough stuff she's dealing with. Her dad got bur- murdered to death in front of her. Like, secrets can be good if contrived ways to have drama, and as we've established, everyone in this show is all about the drama. But, like, ain't none of these folks in Common Rider Fies. They can talk to each other. Yeah, just lie better. Yeah, yeah. If like, you're gonna if... lie, lie better. Yeah. Come up with... Lie at all instead of just, I'm a jerk. I mean, okay, I guess that would be... Is that a lie? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. I mean, like, I, I don't really feel like he's a jerk. He's a, he's a kid that's got a lot of toxic stuff that's been forced upon him, but he can be a really good dude. That's I true. just lie better. If you're gonna lie, put put some work into it. But I, I okay, so I gotta admit the Yoron Changer is actually pretty cool looking. It's actually pretty cool. The purple, gold, and red is a really good color scheme, and I like that it has little cool guy flames on the crystal. That's pretty cool. It's true. And I, I can't deny that wrapped in black is my favorite kind of edgelord cool guy call phrase. But I do hate that they couldn't even throw some cool patterned fabrics over him like they did with Heavy Tsukai Metal, and instead just, like, slapped some red paper eyes on the helmet. I love them so much, except I also hate them. Like, I get that he's only here for one episode. I get it. But still, if they were gonna make a whole new Edgelord changer, they could have at least made the suit a little more Edgelord to match, because there is, like, the the dark heavy Tsukai metal form that he yeah. uses when, like, he's he's going bananas. And that's different from the heavy Tsukai metal that he uses for the rest of it. And that was only there for, like, two episodes. God. And man, like, it was so good. It was good enough that, like, we were disappointed that everyone didn't get a culture-specific upgrade. Yeah. Okay, so here's, here's a weird thing. Remember how during Q-Ranger we kept talking about, like, why are they making such a big deal out of Stinger using the Monoceros Kyutama? Because it was, like, treated with the same weight as, like, like Leo Orion and, uh, like, Naga using Heavy Tsukai Metal. Do you remember that? Yes. Yes, I do. Okay. There is a reason. I'm glad. What is it? The whole- I've, I've watched episode of Stinger, which is a weird, weird film. It's very strange. Um, I believe it's, it. it's absolutely directed by Koichi Sakamoto and is mostly oh, an excuse for Kishi Yosuke to sing for an hour, uh, which fine, fair enough. Good for him. But the, the kind of main, it's a, it's kind of similar to, um, Excel Returns, except better because there's not a whole weird, the whole weird Akiko thing. Um, but, you know, there's there's this girl who's, like, half human, half from the Monocero system, so she's got this, like, weird monster arm, and for some reason, everyone, like, treats her like she's gonna kill them. So, you know, one of the, the Jark Matter guys, like, takes her in and uses her, and it's a whole thing between her and Stinger, and then she dies. 
Uh, spoilers. Sorry. But it's it's very weird. My my big point of confusion is if they were attacked by a dude who's not from the Monocero system, he's from the Aquila system, why would they, like, why would they, this girl showing up, why would they not be like, yo, super strong girl with the, the powerful rock arm, beat up that dude for us, please, protect us. Because that's what they do when Stinger and Champ show up. It's, it's a very weird movie, but he gets Monoceros at the end of that because of her. Um, and that's why it's treated with that narrative weight that they never even vaguely hint at. Well, I'm I'm glad they had a, I'm glad they had something to do with it anyway. Yeah, it's and I mean I know that I I very frequently go off on like oh you shouldn't have to watch a movie to to get this thing in the show and that's you are righteous and correct in saying so. Um. So, but this is this is weird in that it's a thing where something was treated with narrative weight that it did have, but no indication that there was a reason for that narrative weight. Well, at least they, at least they went back and, <laughs> and established it, I guess. I yeah. Well, I mean, this this would have been before, because um, I feel like episode of Singer was released maybe like halfway through Q Ranger. Okay. Because it all it all takes place like most of it is in a flashback because they then uh, beat the the dark matter guy like in the present. So most of it's a flashback. To around the time that Stinger and Champ left to go deal with Scorpio. Um, so I feel like it actually wouldn't have been released too long after that. Mm. I don't think Sarugi is in it at all, so I think it's actually, like, around that time. Um, it's, it was just a very weird thing. It sounds like it. Circling back to, to our main point, I just wanted to talk about episode of Stinger for a minute because it's a weird movie. It's so weird. Do you remember that there was also the High School Wars special? No. There, it's it's kind of a net movie-ish sort of thing that is tied to episode of Stinger, but is so, like, tonally dissonant from it, but is, like, plot-connected. It's, it's this thing that, like, leads up to it. It's very strange. In that very Q-Ranger way where <laughs> stuff is very oddly tied to one another. Uh, but back back to our point, back to Kira Major. It's definitely um, a Q Ranger thing. Yeah, I just you know that that thinking about Heavy Tsukai Metal and how cool it was kind of got me on that tangent. But like, you don't just have some fabric you could throw over him like a cape. <laughs> yeah, just put a scarf on him, something. But I, I like I kept wondering if maybe like. Like, I think it was probably just the lighting doing it, but it looked like the, the silver on the bodysuit was a little darker or, or less lustrous. But, like, honestly, nothing on this or any Earth could salvage the angry eye stickers. Like, Yeah, I, I also thought that with the suit, but I wasn't sure if it was just a lighting thing. Yeah. Because they, like, didn't they fight in the warehouse? I just, I got nothing. I don't remember. Um, but as much as I, like, don't want this, like, evil... Takamichi thing to be dragged out just because of how frustrating Takamichi has been to the up to this point and I just want to get to the part where he's cool and part of the team and not like having all this stuff going on so we can actually get to the more interesting plot of this show I feel like if he'd been managed a little better from the start 
I actually would wish this was more than a one-episode thing and have it be about Takamichi learning to control this darkness within him and maybe be this balance of Kira mentality and Kala mentality and play with that duality a bit and have kind of like, oh, well, because he's got this darkness, he can shine even brighter. Like, I feel like there's something interesting in that gray area that we're missing out on. But because he was just handled so badly to begin with, I'm like, this is, having this be one episode is fine. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, it, that would have been a much more interesting way to take with take it with. Because, like, look, just yeeting your own darkness out that soundly, that quickly, that, that takes a really cool bit of drama off the table. But also, it kind of, for me anyway, takes some of the wind out of Garza. Because honestly, like... It, since I take Garza as kind of just this embodiment of toxic masculinity, I kind of would have wanted Takamichi to keep having to fight him, because you don't beat it so easily or so cleanly. Like, let Garza's manipulation stick around. It, it could make for some interesting stuff, and we could have him talk about, like, hey, when I act a fool, I'm not sure if that's me or if that's what Garza wanted me to be, so I'm trying really hard to be cool, but there's this restrictive view of what I'm supposed to be that has been imposed upon me, which makes it harder for me to be my authentic self because it has grievously injured my ability to tell what my authentic self even is. And, like, look, maybe that's a bit too much of an existential crisis for Super Sentai, but also it's... It'd just be much better than yeeting the darkness out of yourself. I don't know about it being too much, because that's basically what Nada did, and he was amazing. Man, Nada was amazing. Man, like, Ryu Soldier was a good Sentai. Yeah, that was, it was a good save Super Sentai Sentai. I, I have no idea how the toys are selling now, but dang, Ryu Soldier. Man, remember when it's like, hey, why is there that whole extra block in the in the thing? Oh, wait, that's where Nada would go. Nada means nothing. So that hole in all the pictures in the opening, that's Nada. Just just because I needed to remind you, to, because I felt it, Sono, and it hurt me. And, you, say uh, this sometimes... like I'm not, you say this like I'm not sad about Nada, like, every day of my life. <laughs> oh, that's fair, that's fair. Man, Nada was good. Yeah, And speaking was. of good things, let's get to the good parts of these episodes, which, you know was most of them. A lot more highs than lows. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so I did... I thought of this upon rewatch, um, but as badly as Takamichi's CG'd into that one shot in the opening where everyone is running, but he's riding on the front of Drilljohn, uh, because that is unsalvageably bad. I think it's actually kind of cool that everyone else is running with their partner while Takamichi is riding the machine that he combines with. Like, he doesn't work with his machine the way the others work with their Kirame stones. He is the Kirame stone and he puts his vehicle on, like, armor. I'm not sure if the shot is actually that deep, but I thought it was a neat thematic idea. Yeah, and look, at the very least... It's the kind of BS we can give ourselves to overlook how bad that shot is. Because, like, look, it is a really bad shot. It's really bad. He is not even the correct yeah. size. Yeah, and if they can't be bothered to polish it up, 
like I don't know whether or not to appreciate the audacity of just leaving it like that, but I if we could have that little bit of of sort of just messing about where okay, you know, all the sizes with him and Drilljean are fungible because, you know, it's a it's a it's a thematic expressionist thing. At least that's fun. I do love the bit of Takamichi being like, "Okay, I've explained everything that's going on." Tamitomo, let's go. And and Tamitomo's just like, no, you haven't actually explained anything. Please say words. Seriously, that's such a good bit of comedy. Uh, but also, I do like that Takamichi respects Tamitomo's profession and skill as a gamer. I know we're sort of past the point in the show where we're mocking him for it, but Tamitomo is still in that nebulous phase of only kind of getting along with everyone. Uh, so I kind of wouldn't have been surprised by some kind of jab, especially from Takamichi, who's still learning his, kind of learning his place in the dynamic. Though I guess given the situation of Takamichi losing a game and needing someone who can win it for him, a jab would not really have helped his cause. Like, if he were to come in and make fun of Tame Tomo, Tame may not have actually wanted to go help him. So, you know, fair enough. He would have at least made him dance for it. Uh, but still, it's just Tame and his skill set were kind of the butt of the joke for a little bit early on in the show. And yeah. I'm glad that Takamichi seems to be cool about it out of the gate and we can just be like, yeah, you're really talented at this thing. Please use your skills to help me. Yeah, and on top of that, I also appreciate that how we're also using this to help bring Takamichi down a bit, because... Boy, there was an episode that was basically, oh, Takamichi, you're great at everything. And, like, I didn't care for that. I really hate when they do that. So I, I appreciate that we're doing an arc now where we're talking about how incredibly limited his skill set is. You know, on top of how, as you've pointed out before, Sono, he's he's not really as great at the skills he's got. Because, like, everyone's better treasure hunter than him. Yeah. Like, he can do a fight, and that's fine, but, like, mm, there's there's more to this than fight. The Shavello Hammer is a really cool idea. I hope we <laughs> see so more fun. of it, and that the other so stones get to also be these individualized weapons. Um, like, maybe even weapons that form a team buster, since it's, you know, been a hot minute since we've had one of those. Man, it really has, hasn't it? Man, yeah. I miss team busters. Those were neat. I feel like Go-Busters may have been the last time we had one. Wow, that long? I might, Man, I, I'm, I might, no, no, Tokyo. No, well, Tokyuger. Did they, but, was that really a team buster? Yeah. That was more of a, was it? Yeah, everyone, everyone's special weapons combined. Oh, oh okay, yeah, they did, they did have one of those. I was thinking of, uh, the gold thing. Yeah, that they but, put on yeah. sometimes. Yeah, uh, no, they, their weapons did combine. Um, you are correct about that. They may have been the last ones, though. Um, and I mean, I, I, think, so. I think they yeah. generally don't sell very well, so I'm kind of not surprised they were phased out, but I do also miss them. I've always found them to be really fun. Oh, yeah. I like, like, I like someone different getting to be in the center and then the team gathering around that person. It's cute. I like it. Yeah, it is. Though, like, at the same time, I can kind of understand why they wouldn't sell well. Like, it's a lot of individual pieces, and, you you know, you have to have a lot of friends to do it right. Everyone has to agree about who's playing which member of the team, and just, ugh. 
At least if you get the, like the role play size toys. Which, of course, I mean, why wouldn't you? Those are awesome. But, yeah, more to your point, I, I also echo your hope that the others get to pop in as weapons at some point. Because even if they don't do a team buster, it's just one more neat way to do the, the in-sparkle ration or kiramekin that just, it makes the show that much more interesting. Because, like, look, Kamen Rider and Super Sentai have been pulling nonsense superpowers out of freaking nowhere for decades now at least with this one it's like hey we have a reason for it why oh juru has a has an imagination that's his superpower you know what fine that's cool so i got that masks were the thing with the villain group this year i did get that i need to preface this um but aside from garza i feel like this is the first time we've seen one of them like have the mask not on their head and be holding it and then put it on to become the monster. Which has me wondering, are they just all different kinds of weirdos and aliens that just wear a uniform and put on a mask? Because um, Molmarsk mentions denizens of Jotunheim when Tametomo gets poisoned, because uh, they're like, oh yeah, even the people on Jotunheim don't like this. So are they just, like, normal guys? Are they just, like, civilians that are, you know, under this tyrannical ruler? And the mooks are just maybe trained animals? Because that's what that sounded like. Yeah, I mean, they if they're not trained animals, like, I would definitely believe, oh, they're just sapient muck. They're just muck monsters. Yeah, because he's like, this this one's poison. Even even we don't like these. And then Yodons, like, get put in the evil army and get masks that give them powers, I guess? Um, like, what is it like there? How do they get recruited? How does this system work? That's a very good question. Also, it makes me want to see Jotunheim propaganda films about the joys of citizenship and dying for your glorious emperor. We know so little about Jotunheim and the Jotun army, but we're not actively encouraged to ask about it, so it doesn't feel like a mystery box situation. Like, this is just a thing going on, and it's a problem. But we're not actually, like, it's not like with the Zangyak, where we kind of have a sense, or even, like, Dark Matter, where we have a sense of them going out and either, like, kidnapping people to be in the army, or, like, forcibly recruiting them, this or that. Like, we don't know. where. What is the system here? And I'm really curious to find out. Yeah, same. Though I will say, just what they've given us... And, and the bits you're mentioning here, it, it does at least imply a lot to me. Because, okay, if Jotunheim has denizens and it has an emperor, that implies an empire, which implies spreading out and conquering, as you know, they're clear, clearly doing to Earth. And all the little muckrakers wear the symbol of the empire. So, yeah, I think underneath that, if, if they're not just like muck monsters at least all the people under the masks are just like the people there they're normal people from whatever once beautiful world jodenheim has ground under its feet and like as just a side thing i appreciate that jodenheim is a near homophone with jotunheim which is the home of the giants so i don't know like that implies to me that like, especially with the way the opening is, where the, the Emperor of Jotunheim is like this big shadow, 
he's just he's just the big force of evil crushing all the little people beneath his heel because he's just he's bigger i don't know i just like the idea that uh the emperor is just a literal big bully I would, I would love if this worked on, like, Invader Zim rules, where it's just, you know, <laughs> the leader is whoever is tallest. Yeah, and there's just, at some point we find, like, the low, like, the lowest ranking Marskman, and it's, it's like, it's just this little dude, like, three feet tall. Might, just, might even be just, like, a, a puppet. I don't know, just, I think it'd be fun. I just, I, I really, I love the Marskmen. I just really interesting. Like, on a lore level, on a visual level, they can do so much, because it's just these different colored bodysuits that are all the same pattern, and then just a cool mask. I just, I still remember Reset Button Mask, who remains my favorite of them. They're fascinating. Yeah, especially since, like, they all get their, like, many of them get just completely off-the-wall strategies. On top of just the Lord level of fascination, it's just how how are we going to fight this one? What is this one going to do? How are they going to misunderstand it this time? <laughs> All right, red light, green light, mask, we're here to stop you. I'm not a maskman. I love Crunchula. I also I love the bit where he's throwing a temper tantrum about the Kira Major showing up. Yes. Like he's he's watching the whole thing. He's like, no, why are they here? Like, it's such a little thing, but he's got so much charisma, and he and Garza have so much chemistry that any time he does anything, it's delightful. It really is. It's Honestly, it's been a while since we've had generals who've had this kind of, of anything going on. And honestly, I just keep hoping they take the understanding that Crunchula having a human mouth allows him to do some extra stuff that they could be letting more people do from here on in. Because, like, look, I know that when we talk about that sort of thing, there's frequently a lot of, but Power Rangers. But, you know, like, whatever. Let Hasbro or Saban or whoever worry about that. Just make a good show for you guys, and it'll be fine. Yeah, they'll, like, they'll at this point, around. Hasbro is so willing to, like, shoot new stuff and redo stuff. That, like, do whatever you want. Hasbro has money. Yeah. Hasbro has money to burn. Yeah, and also, like, I don't know, they seem to have a bit more, from what I've heard, they show a bit more love for the source material, which has often been, like, the comedic bits of Power Rangers are part of what I just, I bail on. Anyway, we're not here to talk about the, the Sentai versus Power Rangers. If you like Power Rangers, dear listener, we got no beef. It's just not for me. Except for that movie. Like, that last Power Rangers movie, again, we could and will one day have have just an episode just talking about that thing. It is a one day. fascinating yeah. train wreck. We'll get there one of these days. Yeah. I appreciate Tomitomo being like, okay, look, buddy, we've been going out of our way to help with this treasure hunt situation, so I just want to know what's up, and he will not take no for an answer. Like, again, all, all about the drama, but if anyone's gonna get this plot moving, it's him. Tommy Tomo yep. doesn't- he's a gamer. He doesn't have time for you to just sit around and do nothing. Yeah, if, if he's waiting for you to just explain things, 
that's time he could be spending learning how to crack this level. He can't speedrun if he has to sit through a cutscene. That's why most games make cutscenes skippable now. Just, he's, he, he's a dude who stays on task, and, and he needs to know the field. And that latter one might actually be more important for him, because he's a tactician and a secondary leader, because he also leads his team. And it's just, I, I appreciate that they're letting the gamer be cool. Because, boy, I was afraid he was going to be, um, what's that word? Obnoxious as hell. Insufferable. Like, look, I'm, you know, I'm old. I'm old. That's just period. I can just end it there. But I, I've met a lot of gamers, a lot of hashtag gamers, and um, most of them are cool. But boy, the ones who aren't are just so not cool. I do think it's really cute that the whole team just wants Takamichi to be on the team and, like, chill out and just like, finally do this. Like, they clearly get that this treasure hunting thing is important to him, even if they don't know why, so they're like, okay, we'll just help him do it, and then he can calm down. Yeah, look, they're good kids. And they've learned a thing or two along the way, which really I appreciate. Because they I've, just... I really expected that when Takamichi, like, showed up at the battle and was like, I'm gonna help you guys first, and then I'll go back and get the treasure... That it would have been stolen by Garza, like, when he went back to get it. Mm. And I'm actually kind of glad it wasn't. Even if I don't really understand why he didn't take it, he was, like, three feet away from it. It would not have been any time. But, you know, whatever, whatever. Maybe there's a whole, like, getting it off the clock process. I don't know. Um, but I feel like if Garza had, like, stolen it while he was fighting, that would have come off as, like, really tedious and dragging out this situation and it also would have made like made it seem like Takamichi made the wrong decision in putting his team first, and that he should have put his own wants first. Like instead, we get to really enjoy the fact that Takamichi took a big step forward and put the team and saving people ahead of his own needs or even his own wants. Even when we find out that his own wants are in the service of protecting someone he cares about. In a different story with different characters, having the Granter Stone stolen before Takamichi could get it would work. But with the way Takamichi's story has played out thus far, I've really gotta hand it to Riku Sanjo. Because that's a nice bit of nuance. It really is. And like, look, I know I've given the dude some guff in the past, but when he works, he works so good. Because he gets those little nuances, and he puts them forward in a really powerful way. And letting us get out of, he's after a thing, and he doesn't trust people, and instead putting us into, he's got a goal, and realizes his friends want to help him achieve it because it's their goal too, is just a really nice way of highlighting how messed his perspectives and priorities have been up till now. Like, he keeps getting better and better, and I will admit it's hard not to like him a little more as we see him improve as a person. Yeah, like, I'm I'm getting there with him, and that's that's important, because I can start with a character that's awful. If yeah. I like them by the end, if they, if they have a, a steady stream of improvement, like, that's fine. Because, I mean, look, sometimes people are garbage, and they can yeah. learn to be better. And that's an interesting story. So, you know, I'm I'm willing to let Takamichi keep going down this path, because he is making progress. And we are 
not even at episode 20 yet. And he's only been here, what, like, six episodes? If that, yeah. So, you know, he's he's making pretty good time. He's definitely a character that's going to benefit from someone being able to watch, like, ten episodes at a time. Yes, definitely. Because, boy, those, the weeks in the middle. Yeah, just those, like, oh, those, like first, those, like, first three episodes of him are kind of unbearable. Mm-hmm. Um, but Takamichi accidentally, like, punching the the kaiju with the, the drill because the, the tank was resonating with his heart was really, really good. Um, yeah. Just the way that he leans really hard into wanting to change to become a better person, but also literally change into a giant robot to protect both the Earth and his family was really fun and sweet and cool and was just a really good moment. He's like, no, I'm gonna change, but I'm also gonna change. Yes. Which, like, I also appreciate that he turns into a rock to do it. Because, to me, that's that's him trying to be more like Orozen and Mabushina. Which, you know, good. Be more like them. Reject the Garza in your heart. He sucks, and he always has. Not to mention, it's, it's a nice inversion of... You know, I like when they find a fun way for the Sixth to be an inversion of the rest of the crew, you know? Yeah. They're all a bunch of kids powered by rocks well he's a rock and a kid he's a kid powered by rocks but he's also a rock powered by kid it really makes you think also i'm kind of with you on on gigant driller like it's cute as heck with his really wide squat torso and his little diamond head with the glasses and the third arm like pushes the button to make the glasses pop up that's that's really so cute. good yeah, honestly, the longer Gigant Driller is on screen, the more I like it. Like, it turns out the way to really get me on Takamichi's side was to turn him into a rock that is the heart of just the biggest, chonkiest boy. I just want to hug that big robot. It's so cute. It really is. I want, like, it's it's honestly, it shouldn't, it's another one of those ones that shouldn't work. Because, like, I've seen the toy and I'm like, mm, the toy's not as good. Because you notice all the things about it that are silly. But, boy, every time it's on screen. Something about the, the way it's shot and the suit actor and the suit itself. That's a really charismatic robot. I also adore the rest of the team just sitting their robot down to watch the fights. They're like, oh man, look at this cool thing. <laughs> um, like, we almost never get to see these robots sit. And something about it just sitting cross-legged, probably in the exact same pose as the kids watching the fight and reacting to this robot and having the same yeah. reaction, is really charming. And I feel like I should be on Takamichi for almost hitting them a couple of times, because I have been every time he's done it in a normal fight. But they also did sit down in the middle of the giant robot battlefield. Like, yeah, it's not like I mean, when they were also helping to fight and he was just kind of reckless and would almost hit them while they were fighting. Like, y'all sat down in the middle of the robot fight. You maybe should have, like, gone a couple miles, like, to the left. Yeah. Like, look, it's cute and charming, but also, there. this is some real danger here, kids. This is a giant robot fight. You, like, if you sit down in the middle of, a, of like, a riot... You can't get mad if you get stepped on. Same rules. Okay. So, more importantly than anything else, as we come into episode 16, who the heck is the Witch of the Stagnant Sea? 
right? Her design is incredible, and she seems completely buck wild. When is she gonna show up? Right, yeah, same. Because, like, holy crap, the moment she showed up, like, me and my partner paused the thing and just looked at her. Because what an amazing design! We don't really have New Suit Roundup on this show, so we're gonna talk about it right the hell now. Because, like, wow, what a good design! Because... The thing is, she's got this clean, minimalist, austere thing going on from the neck down. So she's clearly of the same ilk as the Marskman, but also just in her presentation, she's also clearly a step up from them. There's a, and also, there's a non-zero chance that her whole dang head is going to flip open, because, like, look, those, those things coming up from the corners of her mouth, those could be smile scars... But they could also be her weird, too large, inhuman mouth just pressed together. Like, the the stitches, air quotes, do seem to actually be, like, huge horror teeth. Yeah, which, uh, hype. I'm hype for that. Also, okay, this is, this is a really abstract thing, but, you know, like, the, the thing that is evoking her hair that's kind of like a, a shell... Something about the shape of it evokes the, the like, silhouettes, which makes me think she's related to Crunchula somehow. I Yeah. That is a really out-of-left-field thing. I have no idea, but, um, I love her. She's the, she's probably one of my favorite villains in a long time, just on design. Um, and I know they said, like, Oridin killed her, that's when she cursed him. But, like, you can't just introduce someone with that design and a name like Witch of the Stagnant Sea and make her influence this big plot hook and then not do something with her. Yeah, look, uh, before we got recording, we were talking about Maleficent from Disney Sleeping Beauty. She's that level of big. Because, <laughs> like, she's amazing. And also, just the name. The Stagnant Sea. I went on such a journey after hearing that, because, I mean, first off, it's evocative as hell. I don't know what it originally was in Japanese, and I don't know how much I have to, to tip my hat to overtime there, but um, I feel like I'm tipping my hat to overtime there, because that's real evocative. But it, it just reminds me that, like, their translation of Marskmen comes from mashing up Marsh and Mask and Marksman, which, yeah, that's clever, but it also makes me wonder, okay, a salt marsh big enough to cover a world, that would be a stagnant sea, because, like, it's not moving. Salt marshes don't really move. They just, that's where you'd get, like, a lot of, like, flies and stuff. I don't know. I'm I'm not actually a geologist. I don't know about different habitats, but that's what it made me think of, and it that's how good the name is. I mean, like, it evokes a massive thing, because what are they all standing in? Are they at all times angle-deep in the stagnant sea? I have no idea if that's why they're always splashing around ankle-deep in water, but hot dang, which of the stagnant sea? 
Have you ever heard a cooler title? I don't think I have, or if I have, it clearly wasn't actually cooler, because when I think of what's a cooler title than The Witch of the Stagnant Sea, it is swallowed up by her malevolent magical might, because I can't think of anything. Like, this lady is cursing people so hard their kids get cursed. That's amazing. Like, I mean, look, man, she pulls, like, a message to double, like, message to double by cursing him so hard that, like, it doesn't even affect him. He just has to lose the person he loves most. And y'all know how into that I am. Because yeah, I, too, am here for the drama. I'm, I'm a little confused as to why Takamichi thinks this curse will extend to Mabushina. Like, after it destroys one person he cares about, does it, like, go down the line of people he cares most about? And it only took a week to kill the queen. So if this happened fairly recently before Garza's betrayal... Mabushina's already been, like, with us for five months, and even if, if it happened before that, she's been fine for longer. He says that Oridin's death doesn't necessarily mean the curse has been lifted, so would it have definitely killed Mabushina at some point if he didn't die? And, like, that's the confusing factor? I'm, I'm not clear on the terms of why he thinks this affects Mabushina. Also, when did this happen? Because yes. Mabushina seemed pretty young when Takamichi arrived. And when she was in the shots with him, like, when it's it's him and Mabushina and Oridin, like, the queen is never there. Which kind of implies to me that it happened before he got there. But he does refer to her as mother occasionally, instead of only as the queen. So it feels like he does have a kind of relationship with her. So, but I'm not sure if she was part of his life or not. And I'm not really complaining. Um, I just want to know this information because I'm deeply emotionally invested in the Crystallian royal family and their drama. And, but also, like, y'all know me and a mom character. I want the details. Tell me about this lady. Yeah, no, same. Also... Look, since since I did explode about the excellence that is the Witch of the Stagnant Sea, uh, who, like, look, now that now we mention it, she might have just done a Maleficent, because, man, is Mabushina gonna just prick her finger on a spinning needle on her 16th birthday and die? Because there ain't no three fairies there to, to ameliorate that. Anyway, um, I just also want to take a sec to point out and appreciate that Mom's crown is baller in anything. And it's going to be a real kick to the hard guts when Mabushina gets to wear it. Oh man, it sure is. Also, like, her mom is shot really weirdly. Because she looks so tiny. They only shoot her from, like, the knees up. So she, I thought she was Mabushina at first. Like, as a child, until they're like, no, it was his wife. I'm like, is she? Like, but she looks like a child. And yeah. then I got a, like, I paused it and I looked more at her. Um, and it's just Mabushina's head, but they paint over half the eye, so she's got kind of more of an adult eye shape. And then I realized that they were just not shooting her from the knees down, so it just made her look really small. Also, like, it's just all very of her weird. shots are very far away, so she looks even yeah. smaller. It's very weird. Um, yeah. I also kind of adore that Juru's just completely incapable of lying. And... <laughs> Like, when, when everyone starts treating her differently, and Mabushina, like, very clearly knows that something is up, she's like, Juru, what's up with everyone? Because she knows he can't lie. 
and you know that's how it becomes very clear that something is being hidden from her and she is not having it all she wants is for people to just tell her what's going on and like look it doesn't need to be said but i'm gonna say it anyway that's the least she deserves again she traveled to a whole other planet after watching her dad get got in front of her by her uncle who later tried to trick her into forgiving him so that he could probably also murder her to death so like i feel like y'all can tell her about this probably maybe curse like at the very least then she can be a little aware of stuff to look out for i don't know yeah i don't know like then maybe she can at least like tell y'all when it happens um <laughs> hey guys um I can't seem to move my legs. I think they've been petrified. The curse is happening. Oh no, now let's do a thing. I don't know. But Mamashina does get that shot in the opening with the Granter Stones, and that's got me really yeah. excited. Like, she's in the shots where everyone's being cute in the base, but I didn't realize before this how much she really wasn't emphasized in the opening as part of the story until we've got this new addition. And the fact that in Sentai, where it's it's a little different than in Rider, in Sentai, they don't really change the opening other than to add the sixth and then add robots. So to, to change the opening again, such a short time after they put Takamichi in, um, that feels like a really big deal. And that maybe we will get to see some really major narrative play from Mabushina as this Granterstone storyline unfolds. Boy, I hope so. Like, again, don't know if it's actually that deep, but Mabushina going from this very withdrawn pose surrounded by darkness to, like, throwing her arms out and the stones radiating outward from her as she bursts into this bright crystal background with a rainbow halo behind her. Like, I don't know if that's symbolic of just going from cursed to not cursed, or if it's implying something larger. But it's got me real dang excited, because it's there. Yeah, it is. And look, it's it's like you said, they put it at the opening. Like, they only put stuff that matters in the openings. The openings are there to set up what's going on and remind you of things that are going on in, like, a broad metaphorical sense, compared to, you know, like, the last time bits where they, they give you the specifics. The, the opening is there to tell you what is this show that you are watching in case this is your first time here. And, like, yeah, I think you're right to be pumped for this, especially since it means our girl might get a cool thing of her own, like she deserves, out of this, which, you know, clearly we're for, because uh, she's honestly one of my favorite characters on the show, so. Yeah, I love her. I also love just how much more and more Garza sucks as we learn weird <laughs> incidental stuff about his life. Like how he just grew up loving supervillains in his culture's media and watching them hurt people. Like he's always been this weird, awful little gremlin and I kind of love that about him. Same. Like, the purity of his awfulness just puts such a smile on my face because look, look, I like a baddie who's got this great tragic backstory and to whom we can all say, like, yeah, that's a, that is a cool mo motive. Still murder, but, you know, I get it. That's nice, but also give me someone who just sucks and has always sucked and just needs to get got in a completely uncomplicated way. Because, I mean, look, we all contain multitudes. Except for Garza, clearly. Because, like, he just, you know, he's just suck all the way down. I, I would be happy if he got nuance eventually, but... 
honestly, I feel like I'd be even happier if he just kept leaning right the heck into being that freaking guy. I just want his nuance to, like, double down on it. Like, give yeah. him some kind of nuance and be just have it be more of him being the most garbage person. Yeah. Like, give him a give him a moment of existential, like, wait, am I doing the wrong thing? Is this actually a bad way to go? You know what? Feelings are for suckers. And then he just slaps himself in the face. I'm gonna go murder three times as many people. Was I wrong? No. It must be the children who are the problem. <laughs> yes, yes. I Man, I'm gonna put the, the, the Principal Skinner meme in there. But on the other side of the coin, the bit of Oridan telling Drew to just keep being his best self who believes in the good in his friends was very sweet. I kind of wish the scene had been a little longer and had a bit of Oridan worrying about his boy before professing his belief in Drew to save his son. But again, this is a one-episode thing and there's a lot to pack in, so we don't really have the time. Hmm. Uh, but it was still cute. It was cute as it was. Yeah, it was. But also, something like that really does make you wish it'd stick around longer. Because, like, on top of everything, Oridan's just a good dude. I hope he can come back somehow at the end, or at least let Mabushina know that he's proud of her by the end. Because, I mean, look, again, it's pretty clear she will be making her dad proud. He's probably already proud, but she, she's going to be a real good queen, is what I'm saying. And as much as all of the flashing back has been cute, Mabushina and Takamichi both declaring how they're ready to lay down their lives for one another was the first time that I really got a good feeling for the bond between them and how much of an influence they've been on one another. Because <clears throat> even though she still thinks all he cares about is treasure, she's gonna go snap him out of this and give him a piece of her mind because she loves him, and she wants him to be the brother that she knows he can be, and that the person that he always has been towards her. And that kind of got me. No, that's that's the sort of thing that should get you. It's a really good bit. And again, it makes me remember how Riku Sanjo can do some really good writing when he's got either good direction or people around him who want to let him do the things he's good at doing. Because, boy, when you let him off the chain, he he can just get you. Again, like, I only bring up that I don't love Double as as one of those things so that I can point out when he's good. He gets me. Because, like, there are bits of Double that I will fight someone if they get mad about. Like, if someone insults the Sonazaki sisters being in Double, like, I will fight you. But just... He's really good at, at familial drama. Don't ask him to write an ensemble cast, and he will amaze you. Yeah. Just let him write weird family stuff. Weird found families? That is his gem. He's amazing at it. And, like, from this, we have Juru being the best boy that he is. Mm. Kind of comes to the realization of... Like, he kind of manages to catch up to where we've been this whole time. Like, stop trying to force everything, and just help your friends get to where they need to be to become better, or at least to be able to find an understanding. Yeah, and dang, but Jura's a good red like that. It has been a minute since we've had a, a red who's just so clearly a support type, while also trying to be the leader. He just, he wants everyone to be their best selves, and it's really beautiful, because I think that's all any of us want for our friends. 
Um, and I have to admit, like, him using the Granter Stone was some really great drama. Mm. Even, like, as he was using it, I was realizing kind of very quickly, like, oh yeah, you can do four separate small wishes relating to each stone, and then you get a big wish with all four of them, because obviously you're getting a wish with only this one, so these are two separate things. Um, just the drama of Juru stepping up to be the red and kind of throwing out his only two bad choices to make his own better third choice was really wonderful. And it's very much him stepping up to be the red in a way that I like. Yeah. You know, especially since it's in the service of looking at these two people that he really cares about and who he knows care about each other and not wanting to see either of them suffer. Yeah, and it was a beautiful bit. And also, honestly, there's a level where if he just have said, look, we needed you back now, we'll manage the rest because we're a team. Yeah, this maybe this means that, that we can't you know, stop the curse, but we needed you now because you're our friend. Like, that, I don't know, that would have been good too. Like, there's really no way I would have been mad at the kid because I feel like if he'd been wrong, he'd own up to it because he's a good dude. Also, like, I do enjoy that the Granter Stones seem to operate on some real D&D legendary item rules. Just probably on a significantly more chill cooldown than, like... Because there's these books that give you permanent plus two to whatever attribute, or whatever, where where the magic, like, after you get your plus two bonus, the book just has no magic in it for, like, a hundred years. And then it can do it again. But just... I, I imagine these things don't operate like that. Probably like a month. Well, probably closer to a year, but still. And it's how much time do we have left? Where? Yeah, give it about six months. Yeah. Um, I also really love just how hard this episode goes. With yeah, you two aren't siblings by blood, but you know you two are siblings. Like Takamichi and Mabushina love each other and have learned from each other, and that's enough for it to be real. Because found family is real family, dang it. Love makes it real, as love makes all things real. And, you know, getting to see the two of them reconcile was really sweet. Like, Takamichi finally being upfront with Mabushina about how important she is to him and has always been to him. And making it clear that protecting her is his priority and having them hug it out was really nice. Yeah, I mean, look, you know me. I'm a big fan of a hug. Hugs are good storytelling, and just like, you know, good. Maybe a little less good to do to random people, you know, pandemic and all, but still, hugs are great. Though I am unsure if they've actually clarified what's going on to Mabushina. And I wish that I knew for certain, like, if she understood what was going on at the end of this episode. Because I feel like she deserves that much. And that if Takamichi did tell her that all of this has been in the service of trying to keep her from suffering the same fate as her mother, it would go a long way to making things right between them, even with how badly he's handled things up until now. And, like, does Mabushina even know what happened to her mother? Like, obviously she knows she's dead, because she's, like, talking to the crown. But, like, I mean, if Takamichi knows the details of what happened to her, I assume Mabushina's got to? Mm. But I, I don't know, and I'd kind of like clarity on that. Yeah, it, it really wouldn't hurt, especially if they could just, I don't know, just have them make sure they're on the same page, if only for their own sake. 
especially if they could play something like that up and have an episode that's less about OMG curse and more like Takamichi, you're a sweet guy, but also dumber than rocks. And I should know, like we we know some really really dumb rocks. I like I know I might be cursed. I have known for a long time because Oridan doesn't hide things from me. That's that's more of that toxic BS you got from Garza. I forgive you, but also you should apologize. And then like I don't know, Takamichi and, and like Sayo or or his little brother, Takamichi and someone can have an episode of bonding over treating people better, you know, like Juru does. Like, yes. uh, that'd be a sweet episode. Just I want I want to be done with this whole Takamichi is Oh, I'm lying to protect the person I love, because, like, that's cool and all, but also it's a lot easier to protect the people you love if you just let them know what's up. Yeah, like, look, look, I don't want to harp on Gaim. I don't like doing it. But it, it brings me back to, like, the biggest problem I had in Gaim, which is the handling of the Hase death, where Hase is turning into a monster, and Kota knows about it, and he goes to his friends and is like, hey, if you see Hase, stay away from him. And everyone's like, why? What's up with Hase? And he's like, just stay away from him. And doesn't actually explain. And then, like, a couple scenes later, Rat and Rika, I think? Um, yeah, it's Rat and Rika. Uh, like, they go to the, the, the fruit bar. And Hase is there and he's, like, breaking stuff because he's going berserk. And they're like, Hase, what's wrong? Why are you acting like this? And he, like, puts Rad in the hospital. And then, like, a couple scenes later, dies. And Kota never apologizes for not telling them. Because if they had been- If Kota had just said, something happened with Hase and he's turning into a monster, don't go near him. Like, all of the stuff that's going on is making him into a monster- Like, an actual dangerous monster. Get people away from him. Like, just evacuate the area. That wouldn't have happened to Rat. Yeah. And he's just, I, he, he apologizes for, later for not protecting Rat. He apologizes for be, not being there to protect him from getting hurt. But I'm like, if you had just explained the situation to him, you're not apologizing for the right thing. Apologize for not being honest with him about the situation. Because that would have prevented him from getting hurt in the first place. Yeah, well, it's it's apparently a lot easier to ask for forgiveness than let people know what's going on in a way that prevents you from having drama. I don't know. I don't know. It's just that I didn't watch the second half of Gaim, so all of my problems with it are these big interpersonal things, because that's <clears throat> just not a thing Gen Arbuchi's good at writing. I don't know what he is good at writing, but it's not that. He, he's very good at, at like, that very certain kind of cynicism that he does. And also um, being very angry at uh, American foreign policy. Well, that's fair. That's fair, actually. When he digs into a U.S. foreign policy, uh, that dude is vicious. But, but also, like, I, you know, I spent the whole time like, wow... <laughs> <laughs> I think you just knocked the wind out of me, bro. You're right, but ooh. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, he has some thoughts. So, he, you know, he is good at some things, just 
not always the things they ask him to do. Which, honestly, I feel is as much about him as it is about, like, hey, don't ask him to write a common Rider show, y'all. Yeah, I just don't think he should write hero shows. Yeah, he's... Like, look, he doesn't. He doesn't believe in heroics. Yeah, and like, you can you can have a sh- you can have a hero show that problematizes and and sort of like thinks about the concept, but you still kind of have to believe in it. Or if you're gonna not believe in it, like arguably one could say that was was part of what happened with Ryuki is just like rejecting the idea and like. Hey, it's it's we need to just build a better world so we don't need heroes. That's and he just he took the wrong that. message from Ryuki. Yeah, well that's he took he took so many he looked at Ryuki and was like Kanzaki Shiro is right actually. Yeah, and that's what he took away from Ryuki. Anyway, um, so moving on, we've we've got uh this is a an anniversary series, so there are a lot of callbacks. Um. There was a pretty big one here this time round. Uh, Sona, why don't you why don't you talk about it a bit? Yeah, I'm not sure if this is a reach or not, but Mabushina's mother's headdress crown thing reminded me immediately of Maji Mother. Okay, like, I'm gonna say immediately. Not a reach, dude. Not a reach. I was there too. Like, the instant we see it, the, the instant that Mabushina opens up the box, I'm like, Maji Mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and while it's not exact, the shape is very nearly the same, down to the horn that comes up with the gem on it, which on Maji Mother was like the magical snowflake, uh, because I guess she just went and beat up a god until she got magic. I mean, look, um, that's that does sound like Maji Mother. Because, like, the the snow one, obviously she got her magic from the snow one, and the snow one even says as much, but it really seemed like they didn't want to give it to her, and she was persistent. Look, she's, she is a high-powered magician. It is, the, it is the job of a magician to go to a god and get things out of them that the gods don't want to give. That's, that's how she do. Um, and, you know, just given that they're both white, and tied to mother characters that were killed by the villains. Um, I mean, it wouldn't be the most subtle of references an anniversary show is made. Uh, plus, maybe it's a thing that, you know, if it's tied to Maji Mother, Mabushina can use to become Kirame White, maybe, please. Yeah, like, my thought has been that since it's a crown and she's a princess... Kirame White could go that much further into Magi Mother territory and instead be Kirame Queen, if only because it's kind of a sidelong ride with Kirame Keen. Look, she deserves that, and I hope they give it to her. Yeah, like, let let Mabushina be a queen, because, look, she already rules. Um, so then, I feel like that's about the, the end of our, our show. Uh, do we have any final thoughts other than let her be a queen, you cowards. Most, mostly that. Um, I do, you know, they're, they're kind of setting up all these really interesting mysteries that I'm really excited to see them answer. Uh, it's been a hot minute since we've had, like, multiple really exciting mysteries going on in a Sentai that aren't being handled like a Magic Brian mystery box. So I'm just, I'm very interested in where we're going with this. Sono, I just, I really appreciate that my, my, 
my terrible voice whenever we talk about the mystery box. It's just the Magic Brian mystery box. I thank you. I, that, that has become a, a staple of the show. It's true. It's just, you know, it, it makes my heart feel good. The, the McElroys have Munch Squad, and we have the Magic Brian mystery box. Man, if only we could figure out a way to have a haunted doll watch, you know? Yeah. Anyway, um... I mean, there has been a haunted doll in this show, and we did point true. it out. We that's are true. on the watch for haunted dolls. There just aren't a lot of them in yeah. these shows. Man, we could... Speaking of which, that's another Trial of Heroes episode we could do. Just go through haunted doll episodes of things. God, how many even are there? There's there's, there's the one, one, in, there's the, one in, in double. Yeah, the one in double is one of my favorites. There's one in uh, Common Rider Black. I don't know, there's probably been a couple others. We just, yeah, I'm sure we could we could dig a couple up. But uh, until then, because uh, goodness knows if... Oh man, with the with the Tokyo special, with the, the crab puppet count? Yes. Where Ticket fights the crab puppet? Yeah, I mean, come on. How, yeah, absolutely. Especially since he's just... There's there's Schwartz and Akira, and they're just... Uh... <laughs> it's so good. It's such a good special. Tokyo was a work of art. It really was. Um, so for... Sorry, I'm just thinking about that. Uh, so for all of us here at Laser News and the rest of the Toll Network, I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono. And shine on, you crazy diamonds. Yeah.